Gentlemen, talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving and you're ready for Black Friday. Because even on Black Friday, we've still got the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. It's Duff McKagan calling you from Oklahoma City. Yeah, I want to tell you, you know, I had uh, my childhood years were great. Great. My, uh, my brothers used to put me inside a tire and run me down a hill. They were good years. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs> I think a lot of times when he sends me he sends me these, I'm drunk when I listen to them because I forget until I listen to them back. That's actually a pretty good one. These were good years. That's funny. Uh, they were good years. How's that for an early holiday gift or at least a little chuckle if you're out braving the crowds in the biggest shopping day of the year? Uh, thanks to Duff McKagan for never letting us down over two years. Uh, whether you laugh or whether you groan, you're guaranteed to do one of the two every Friday with Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Duff McKagan. Well, future WWE Hall of Famer, hopefully. I know he's for sure a Calgary Hall of Famer. Talking about Lance Storm returning to talk as Jericho today as he gets ready to close the world-famous Storm Wrestling Academy. Wow. 15 years he's been running his wrestling school, and he's helped so many talented performers through the years. We're going to remember some of his students, the good ones, the bad ones, Fighting Action Guy, one of my favorites, the surprises, and the ones who got away for whatever reason. Lance is also talking about why this is the right time for him to be making such a huge change in his life. He's still going to be working with talent in the biz. It's since been announced that he's going to be a new producer for the WWE. Uh, but before he moves to the WWE in that new chapter in his life, we're going to celebrate and reminisce about 15 years of SWA. All right. So a uh, little bit out of the blue, huge announcement um, made a few weeks ago when Lance Storm said that he was closing down the uh, Storm Wrestling Academy after 15 years and, uh, I mean, first of all, such an accomplishment and so much to talk about. But th- obviously, I know you very well, Lance, and I know that it's not something that was a knee-jerk reaction, but it sure came on pretty quickly from from my side of things. Yeah, it, it happened quicker on my side of things than I would have thought, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm 50 years old now, so I'm, I'm looking at the finish line of the career. But... It was a case of a lot of different factors. My, my body's been getting more sore, more tired. And because I'm so hands-on, like I still have matches with every student, I've been questioning how much longer I can do it. You know, the last couple of years, I've had a, a student, uh, Chris Knight, really good guy, really good friend of mine. Yeah, from Australia, right? He, yeah, he was uh, actually, he was his class was the one that you came in for the very first comeback you did. Oh, okay, right. But he's been helping me two days a week to help reduce my bump total. And so I've been looking at that. And, you know, to be honest, you know, enrollment has dipped a bit. And so I started looking with, you know, what's the financial pluses? What's the physical pluses? And with my kids now being adults, you know, my my oldest daughter lives on her own now. And my youngest is 19. The need for me to stay home full-time isn't as much. So I started weighing the options and I, you know, reached out to a few places to see what my options are and came to the conclusion that my best option isn't Storm Wrestling Academy anymore. I will be able to rest my body and and still make a, a good income and not be on the road as much as I used to, you know, back 15 years ago. So I found something that I thought was going to work better for me. And once I make a decision, I don't like to 
dawdle around. It's like, well, let's get to it. So I, I made the announcement. And because of that, I'm getting jam-packed with last-minute applications. <laughs> I could have, I could have, I should have price gouged the last class, and then I, I could have. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's it's one of those things like, um, and not comparing the two, but sometimes when like, if for example, it was just the 20th anniversary of uh, of my raw debut uh, a few weeks ago, and um, it, it was one of those things where you don't even realize that all these people say all these kind of cool things about. You know, Chris Jericho's this and Chris Jericho's done that and blah, 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 blah. I never really stopped to think about those things. When you're talking about, you know, you as a trainer and, and the Storm Wrestling Academy, like I, I say it all the time and, and I always tell you this when people ask me, you know, where should I go to train or what should I do for training? I always say, well, go to Lance Storm. He, he's the best trainer in the biz. And now that you're announcing you're closing down, you're getting all of this feedback and all of these former students and all of these people scrambling to get involved last minute. Did you ever stop to think like, you know, I know how you are too, but to think like you really are a pretty damn good trainer and you've had a pretty good track record with this, with this school. Well, I, I've always thought I was good at the job. You know, I never really thought about it beyond, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I think I'm good at it and I, I give my students the best I can, but you know, you were there too. You know, I started training, you know, in 1991, right. <laughs> you know, you were there with me, you know, as absurd as it was that, you know, I was teaching the Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling Camp after one year in the business, <laughs> you know, it was absurd, but it's like, as far, I didn't uh, teach them the psychology I can now, but as far as fundamentals, it's like, I've always been such a detail guy that, you know, I, I think when it came time to start training, when I, you know, I left WWE in, in 04, I guess I was still with WWE because I was teaching their developmental system. But when I left the roster, it, it felt very natural and I really enjoyed it. And that was the thing that always got to me when people say, oh, don't you miss the ring? I'm like, I'm still in the ring. <laughs> and I was never so many of the guys missed the pop like they like that adrenaline rush from the crowd where. That was great, but it's like I always just enjoyed the art form and getting to do it still and being in the ring. And especially those, you know, again, I, I, I did the math. I didn't do it exact. I just did an estimation. But, uh, you know, somewhere between six and seven hundred students have gone through my door. And obviously not all of them have remained friends and, and were great. But those special ones that, you know, you make a connection with and start being successful, it's really rewarding when you see the light bulb go off in their head. And, you know, you'll or you'll get that, you know, text or whatever. It's like, oh, I finally get what you meant. <laughs> it's like, oh, OK, <laughs> it went off. Great. <laughs> but even just with, you know, close to 700 students and I've had at least one match with all of them. Well, except one, one, one dude missed his day. Mm. But many of them I've had two or three matches with. I've probably had as many matches in my building with students, legit matches beginning to finish than I did in my whole career, perhaps. Like, I might be somewhere between 1,000, 1,500 matches just at my school. And that's incredible, too, because once again, I mean, when we trained, you know, the Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling and without the hearts, you know, no, no hearts showed up to train. And you, you see that quite a bit where someone will say, I'm going to wrestling school. Who, who, who trained you? Uh, Ravishing Ricky Ronson. He, he was really big in the, you know, Poughkeepsie, New York area. And I always say, like, if you've never heard of the trainer, chances are the guy's probably not that great. Uh, but for you, obviously, everyone knows your, your pedigree and everyone knows how, how technically good you are and knows your career. But the fact that you're actually in there working with them, I think, is very rare for a wrestling school that bears somebody's name. Yeah, it was funny. I, I forget who I was talking to. 
but there was, and it was only a couple of years ago that I realized it because it was a discussion online about, you know, who's the best guy you were ever in the ring with. And for me, it's fit Finley. Mm-hmm. And then I thought about it and I'm like, you know, many of these guys, it's like, they're going to leave my class and never work with anybody better their entire career. <laughs> but I mean, quite frankly, that's, that's kind of true when you think about that, because once again, a wrestling school, because normally you'll have, I mean, even with us, we had Brad Young who was in there taking the bumps and thank, thank goodness for that. Cause Brad was a million times better than Ed Langley, who was the boss of the school. But you mentioned you had an assistant help you out twice a week, but even that you're still in there the rest of the week. Well, I was in there those days as well. It was just, it was nice to, because what I did before him, you know, there was usually someone in the class that had a degree of experience, Mm -hmm. you know, they'd, you know, been in for a year. And so when it came for, okay, we're going to demonstrate a hip toss for the first time, I'd have to do it with the best student I had. Mm -hmm. And, you know, or I'd have to, okay, this is what you need to do. And then I would take it from him. So at least with, with Niter there, it's like when it came time to, okay, we're going to demonstrate hip tosses. It's like, he could give it to me or I could give it to him to demonstrate. And again, instead of when they're first starting, it's it's dangerous at times to just have, you know, green guy number one giving a neck breaker to green guy number two, especially now with the concerns with concussions. It's like if they crack heads and get a concussion, like they got to sit for a couple of weeks where, you know, back in our day, it's like, yeah, suck it up, kid, get back in here. Nobody mm. cared. Right. So the first neck breaker you take is either going to be from me or from Chris Knight. And when it was just me doing it, I would be taking probably three or four from everybody that day, where at least when, when we did new moves the last couple of years, and we'll do it again in September when it's okay, you're taking your first neck breaker. Chris will give you your first one. And if you know, something's going off, whatever else, it's like, I'll get in and do one. So Chris can watch it and I can feel what the guy's doing, but I'm still, you know, chain wrestling we start chain wrestling and it's like you know beating up and selling i'm in there with you and then again having a full and complete match with every student except one there was one dude (laughs) what happened to that one he was and again i think he was having some i don't know if it was job or financial or or family or something but he was missing or showing up late a fair bit and i keep a spreadsheet to keep track of all the guys i've had matches with and who everyone else has had matches with so you don't work with the same guy every time and you know i'm down to timing it out so it's like okay we got five more days in class i got six guys to get matches with so i'll do two today and i get it down and he was going to be the last guy on the last day of matches and he had to know it was his day because he's the only one that hasn't had the match with me (laughs) and i had talked to him several times with dude you can't be late you got to be here you got to be here and he showed up you know an hour and a half late for that first that last day and in my mind, I was, you know, because I'd put, a, you know, I'd put matches together with everybody else. I'm like, well, you know, I could always just have one on the fly with him at the end so he gets his match. And I thought about it. I'm like, you know, damn it, no. Mm-hmm. I've been talking to this kid for the last couple of weeks of you have to be on time. You have to be on time. And he didn't make it on time. So when he got there, it's like I explained to him. He's like, yeah, I realize that I screwed up. But I'm like, yeah, dude, you did. So uh, provided there isn't another exception in this last class, he will be the only student who made it to the end that didn't get a match with me. Obviously, the ones that quit, you know, halfway through didn't get the matches. So let's talk about some of the uh, graduates that you had, because you've had quite the impressive array. Once again, another uh, shining example of why you're such a great trainer. You had, I don't know, dozens of, of people that went on to work 
you know, you tell me, WWE Impact worldwide. Yeah, I, I think because uh, I was doing the math uh, again the other uh, last night. I was actually doing a fair bit of going through class photos to try to make refresh my memory. Mm-hmm. I think there's been twelve or thirteen now that have gotten to developmental deals, uh, whether they you know lasted and made it to WWE or not, but were signed and were in developmental back in FCW or NXT. Mm-hmm. Sylvester Lafort, uh, who was Tom Larufa, we just yep. called him French. He was the the first student of mine that got signed in that he was the earliest student that got signed, but he wasn't signed first. I think Tyler Breeze was. But uh, yeah, Sylvester Lafort uh, was NXT. He did one takeover. He did a takeover with Enzo. You know, it's funny. I'll just say a little comment when it's necessary. He, when we did uh, Tough Enough in 2015, we would do rehearsals during the day. And of course, the contestants didn't know what was going on, but the judges did. So we would do rehearsals with some guys and um, they would just have to go on the fly. And it was always, they would use the same group of guys. They used uh, Lars Sullivan, whose name was Dylan. They used uh, Zara Schreiber. They used Nia Jax a lot before, and they used Sylvester DeFort. And that guy, like you would ask questions and they would give you, you know, on the fly, you know, just gimmick answers so we could figure out kind of the, the timing and, Dude, he was hilarious. Like, I always looked forward to his answers, and I always asked him questions because he was really good with promos on the fly. What, what, what happened with him? He he got hurt, for one, and that's when he, he thought he was going to be fired. He tore his ACL his first 45 minutes in developmental. Oh, wow. He got signed his very first day. He was running a, a bit of a wacky drill, if you will, and blew his ACL 45 minutes in the building. Mm-hmm. And he thought for sure he was going to be fired. I think if he wasn't international, he might have. But it's like, you know, they did all the paperwork and a visa and everything. Right. And he, again, because he always, like right from class, was always, you know, a million questions, you know, working hard, feeding in every chance he got. Hard hard working guy. He would show up and sit in on every single training session all day, even though he wasn't required to while he was hurt. Hmm. And I remember when I did a guest training spot at FCW, Bill DeMott was still running it, I think. And he says, we actually considered letting him go, but he showed up every day, all day, and we just couldn't do it because he, he had so much drive. And so he came back from that, and then he had to have it redone. Something went wrong with the surgery, and he had to have it redone. So he was off for like two years. And then he got into that bad spot of there was this decision at one point that he's got such a great personality, but he's not that big that will make him a manager. And then he was sort of in a, a speaking, not wrestling role. And then they decided they weren't going to use managers. And then they sort of had him labeled as that. And he, he got the one takeover match with Enzo where they had the, the hair versus hair match that he did where his partner got his head shaved instead of him. And they never found anything else for him. And it was, I, I believe, you know, one of the, you know, creative has nothing for you type decisions and let him go. And he got a, a brief run in in impact after that. And he's still working in, in Europe and France and, and doing really well for himself. But mm. that was the end of his North American run. Okay, so you got Sylvester Lafort and then who else? Tyler Breeze. Obviously. I think it was it was either him or Emma, Tenille Dashwood, that was the very first student to get signed. Um, I'm pretty sure he was the first that made it there because um, it was back when they used to do the tryout camps when it was FCW where you could apply and pay a thousand bucks and go to a tryout and they'd guarantee you'd sign. They guarantee you'd sign one student, but they might sign others if there was enough talent there. And Tyler Breeze won his tryout camp and got his deal. Uh, Tenille Dashwood won her camp and got the deal, but then she failed her medicals for a bad shoulder. 
So she had to, on her own, do shoulder surgery, a year of rehab, and then ended up getting to sign her deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, both of them, I, I I don't know which one was first again, but both of them have had a WrestleMania match. So I joked that they, they accomplished the thing I couldn't because I only made the pre-show. <laughs> well, it was probably the Battle Royal or whatever, though, wasn't it? <laughs> um, there was a, I think Emma did like a, you know, eight or 10 diva tag. And I think Breeze did a battle Royal that was main show. Yeah. Gotcha. And then Peyton Hoist, who's the, as of yet, the only WWE storm wrestling Academy student to hold a championship in WWE. She held the, uh, the women's tag titles, which you always was, call her Peyton Hoist, but isn't it Peyton Royce? It is, but it's my my MMA Hoist Gracie background. <laughs> it's like you go Brazilian on me here. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why when they first put her name out, I think it was, again, it was reported online, but she hadn't been on TV yet. And it was me and Brian Alvarez. Cause again, he's a jujitsu guy and covers MMA. We were like, is it Royce or Hoist? <laughs> and we debated it forever. And for whatever reason in my head, it's not Royce, it's Hoist. So, yeah, she's Brazilian to me, even though she's an Australian. You're right. Okay, so you got Peyton Hoist in there. Oni Lorcan, who actually just wrestled on the pre-show of SummerSlam for the Cruiserweight title. Gotcha, right. Where's he he from? was uh, He's from Boston. Mm. But, yeah, he, had, he was one of the most experienced guys to come to me first off. He had reached out to me, and he was, you know, I think he'd been in two, maybe three years, and just felt like he had hit a plateau with, either his learning curve or his knowledge. So he decided to come up and he was in a good uh, camp. Actually, I think it was three people in that group that ended up making it to WWE. Oh, wow. But he, he didn't have the psychology end of it and the match structure. And, and, and he had, you know, like many guys, you know, you go to Joe blows wrestling school and he teaches you how to bump and he teaches you how to do a few suplexes and sends you on your way. And, and he really felt like the, you know, he's told me a million times that it really helped him step up to that next level and helped his confidence. And yeah, he's really talented. I don't know how much stuff of his you've seen, but he's a really good wrestler. Um, we've also got uh, Chelsea Green, who mm-hmm. actually did, you know, Impact, Lucha Underground, Tough Enough. She's in NXT now. She was actually Impact uh, Women's Champion. Right, yeah. Uh, doing the the hot mess Laurel Van Ness, where she was like, <laughs> she got left at the altar and was a drunken, bitter bride for like a year. Right. Rachel Ellering, Paul Ellering's daughter, who's now actually using my legit last name as Rachel Evers <laughs> in NXT. That's great. Yep. Uh, she did both May Young Classics, and she's in NXT now. And then I've got two guys in NXT UK, uh, Saxton Huxley and Amir Jordan. And then I've also, there's the, the Lost People. There was three people that got signed to developmental back when it was FCW, but because there wasn't NXT TV, no one really heard of them, and they, you know, got released. Uh, I know the one dude asked for his release before they made television. There's, um, what was she? I want to say Mae West, but that wasn't the name she used in in FCW. But she's Alex Lee now. She's working in Japan for like mm. the last eight years, and uh, a dude shotgun. He was the quickest turnaround. WWE did a TV taping here while he was in class. You know, he's like eight weeks into training and they wanted extras. And I mentioned, I got this one kid. I said, you know, he's six, four in great shape, but you know, he's, he's week eight. And they're like, well, if he's got potential, bring him down. Mm-hmm. And I brought him down and they liked him. And, uh, at the time, I guess it was Johnny Ace was talent relations suggested he, you know, he'd do a second session with me and then they'd take a look at him. And so he finished his session, came back and trained with me for another eight weeks or whatever it was. And 
within a year was signed to developmental. Hmm. And he was the one that asked for his release. He, <laughs> I often tell the story. It's like, and you know this obviously, cause you've, you've done this forever, but there's always a level of bullshit in wrestling, whether it be politics, dumb promoters, anything. There's always just stuff, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, Yasky stuff that doesn't make sense. Right. You got to develop a tolerance for. And I think because he got signed so soon, he hadn't even developed his indie level bullshit tolerance yet. Right. And then he's thrown into WWE and, you know, you've got a trainer telling you one thing and a different trainer telling you something else or someone in the match that thinks a different way than you. And I I just don't think he knew how to cope with it because he started there too young. Mm -hmm. And he asked for his release and he went home, went back to school, I think started training MMA and quit the business. (laughs) Well, you know, it's not for everybody. That's for sure. Right. Well, it really isn't. And and that's where, too, uh, Daniel Bolton was an Australian kid who I don't think he, well, I don't think he told me specifically, he had never actually watched wrestling before. He was like an Australian rules football player and got hurt. His career ended and someone said, Hey, try wrestling. Cause we're, you know, we're training He's a decent sized guy, but you do stuff and it'd be like, dude, did you not like everyone else could see it coming? Cause it's just so, you know, basic wrestling. And he'd be like, I'm like, have you ever watched wrestling before? And he's like, no. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And he ended up getting signed and I was dumbfounded because he wasn't particularly good. And we didn't keep in touch after he left. And I was just, um, actually I think it was Chris Knight again, was looking at the FCW website. He's like, oh my God, that dude got signed. And I'm like, what? Hmm. And I looked at the photo and he was, you know, in great shape and had a good look. And I think he lasted maybe six months or a year. And it's like, I, you know, even jokes the wrong word but it's like you know i i probably could have saved you the signing and visa if efforts if you'd have called because it's like he didn't have that love for wrestling mm-hmm. which you have and, to have yeah because i tell students this all the time and it's, it's like it sounds like it's bad at first but it's like there's a lot of crap in the wrestling business like travel is hard staying in shape year round is hard and you know the politics and the getting your break it's not always fair it's hard but if you love the job, those, whether it be 10 minutes or 40 minutes in front of a crowd in the ring, when you get that guy that you can really go with, it's like, it's the greatest thing in the world. But if like, if you don't love that bell to bell part and think that's the greatest thing in the world, it's like, I don't know why you do all the rest of it. Sure. Of course. Right. It's the old you know, thing that, that Alice Cooper always says. It's not the, it's not the hour and a half on stage that I get paid for. It's the other 22 and a half hours of the day getting to the show and getting the show up and running. And that's the same with wrestling. If you love the match itself, then you can deal with the rest of the bullshit. Yeah. You get paid for the rest of it. And the, the actual matches are the, you know, the icing on the cake, so to speak, you know, and that's something too, that people that have never done this can't understand. And I always tell them, it's like, that's where the, you know, the, the brother mentality comes from. It's like when you're in there with the right guy and, and the stuff just clicks and the crowds into it, it's like, there's nothing better. And sharing that with someone, it's like, if it's just the two of you out there, it's like, you're the only two in the world that are really sharing this experience. And it develops a bond that'll never go away. I guess what I want to talk about now, though, is, and we laugh about this because in your very first year, uh, after being in the business for a year, you're training, you know, training the students at the Hart Brothers camp. You know, 15 years later, you start SWA. What exactly was your, 
I guess your regimen for training, because I know with, with Ed and there was the rumors of Stu had that book that Ed was looking at to kind of come up with the, the drills or whatever. And we could say what we want about Ed as a person, but the training was actually pretty good considering what was your mindset and, and how did you kind of set up your training, especially when you first started? Well, it was, it was very similar to what we went through really. Mm-hmm. Because, again, the fact that I had done it in 91 and 92, you know, I had remembered what we had done. And so I sat down, you know, when I was ready to. And I taught the developmental system for a year and a half. But that was a bit different because they were already trained for the most part. It was like I sort of sat down and, and sort of just made a list in order with, okay, what do we need to start with? What do we need to cover and obviously, you know, you got to learn how to roll and bump first. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, all right, well, you're much like we did with, with the hearts. It's like, okay, you got to learn how to tie up. And then you've got to learn how to do your basic, you know, mat work encounters. So if you actually have to wrestle, you know what you're doing. And, you know, it's like, okay, what actual moves does everybody have to be able to do? You know, obviously not everyone needs to do a hurricane rana. Not everyone needs to do a dive, but it's like, you really need to know how to do a body slam. You know how to, need to know how to take a backbreaker and a, and a suplex. So it's like I made that list of the things that we definitely have to cover. And then it's like, okay, well, we got to cover how to just beat somebody up, punch, kick, etc. And you got to learn how to sell. So it's like, all right, well, this can follow this. And it's like, well, we'll need these moves to do this part. So we'll add them in there. And I sort of just made a template. And it's like, I've got my little, you know, red do a tang at the school that I've just sort of have mm-hmm. my checklist down to remind me what do we need to get through. And then once you've done, you know, a few of the basic moves and stuff, it's like, okay, we can run a few spots to get your brain moving and, and, you know, remembering and functioning and, and thinking on the fly. And, and we just work through it like that. And then as we get all the pieces of the puzzle, then it's the, which is what we didn't get at Heart Brothers, was the psychology education. You know, this is why we do it. This is how we can do it. This is how to maximize your reactions and what, the way you should structure stuff. And at that point in time, you start getting into, okay, let's try to put this together and have a match. Hmm. And you just sort of work through all those things. And every session's different because every session's going to have different strengths and weaknesses. So if, again, if, you know, everyone's striking is looking really bad, we're going to work on that more. And if everybody just can't, you know, function and do hip toss or an arm drag, it's like, well, we're going to spend a little more time with this. And so with each session, it's a little bit different, but you've got to work that through. And I have to constantly keep that time ticker in the back of my head that anywhere between six and four weeks left in the session is like, well, we're going to have to start putting all this stuff together so that we can have some matches and see if it works. And, and some sessions it surprises me and some sessions it goes as expected, but there's some times where they don't seem to be putting the pieces together, but it's like, well, we got to get to matches. And sometimes they'll surprise me. And when they put it all together, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're doing better than I thought. And then other times you think they're ready because they're doing the individual pieces well, but they just can't mentally hold all the cards together. And that's where, you know, Chris Knight has really helped me in that we do a lot of, you know, just listen, kid, and follow. And since I don't have the cardio now to do, you know, 15 people in a row – you know, Chris and I will alternate where it's like, okay, we're just going to do the first half of the match. Just listen. And I'll be the heel and I'll call the guy through, you know, five minutes of stuff. And it's like, then 
for the sake of my cardio, Chris will do it with them, and then I will do it with them, and we alternate. And if there's those when we get to matches that are struggling more, it's like I'll put Chris with them with, okay, just call them through it, make sure they can get through it, and see if they can get where they're going. And you you get your way through, and we intersperse you know a couple of promo days in there just so that they have an idea on what they need to do with a little bit of direction and make them stand up in front of a class and see if they can put it together. And you end up at the end of 12 weeks. The ones that had an aptitude are having good, solid undercard matches. Hmm. And then you got to get out and, you know, do it in front of people. When you um, put together a session, how many spots do you have available? It's not a hard and fast number. When I first started, I... I didn't realize the way it would work. It's like I wanted between 12 and 15. And then I would, you know, I'd get the 15 people, so I'd cap that class. And then I'd, you know, book the next class and cap it at 15. And then two weeks before the class started, you'd have three or four people with, uh, oh, yeah, finances didn't come together or, you know, oh, I hurt my ankle. Right. And then you'd be two weeks out of a class, you'd have nine people. And it's like, okay, I've got a expensive lease and I've got insurance mm-hmm. and I've got, and it's like, I needed my 12 to 15 and now I got nine. So then I started booking, you know, 18 figuring, well, I'll lose a few. And there were times where I think my biggest class was 20 and I actually ended up splitting it and doing two 10 hour or 10 hour two 10 person classes. Like I actually divided them up the first week. I started, okay, these guys are having an aptitude. These guys are struggling. I'll do a you know, a, a better class and a, a lesser class. And I did, you know, double duty in the day. And then other times I booked, you know, the 18. I think at one point I, I was started booking up to as high as 24 going, well, I'll do two 12s if everybody shows up. And then, you know, 16 would show up and I just do one big class. Hmm. So the numbers have varied. You know, when I first started my very first class, the photo, I think, has five or six people in it. There was one or two others that quit early before I got the photo taken. But my first class was only a half a dozen people. And over the years, the January session was always the the biggest canceled session. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people went, oh, I'm going next year. I'm going next year. And then December would roll around. They go, holy shit, I'm going in three weeks. And then I'd get the email with a, can I bump? I can't make it. So January was always my thinnest. And I think some people were afraid of the winter. Did you ever like vet the class or cause I remember once again, going back to the only wrestling school I've ever been in was ours in 1990, where thank goodness we've told the story many times. Thank goodness you were there and thank goodness I was there vice versa. But we had a bunch of guys that were, you know, fat and out of shape or skinny fat guys, or you guys with cross eyes that couldn't even run the rope straight. Um, did you ever have people like that show up or did you have some kind of a quality control? Well, there's there's a couple things you, you end up learning with school. And the one was because um, I taught the developmental system, which Danny Davis ran in OVW. And that was one piece of advice he gave me. He said, if someone really wants to come, take their money. Mm-hmm. And he says, you're not ripping them off. He says, because if they're that determined, if you turn them away because you don't think they actually have a future, they're just going to find someone else who's going to take their money and give them no education whatsoever. And there were a few people that I did talk out of it. And there was many where, you know, you'd get them and they'd be, you know, again, five foot one, 110 pounds, no athletic background. And, you know, I'd explain to them, you know, at your size, it's a one in a billion shot. You've got to be an extra special athlete. Like if Rey Mysterio was just an average wrestler, the dude never would have made it. Mm -hmm. 
like you have to be special. And there was a few people that I, you know, had a long conversation with and maybe they ended up going to someone else, but they thought about it and thanked me for my honesty and, and didn't just sign up. But with the majority of my classes traveling from around the world, it's not like I could have a tryout and pick. And anyone that's ever done a wrestling school, I think, appreciates the fact, and it's it's not the best case scenario for everyone, but the dreamers that probably don't have the potential are the ones that cover your bills. Hmm. That if you just took the few that you actually thought had a shot, you'd never make enough money to pay the bills. So you accept a lot of people and every class, I joke because every class, the former students, oh, how's a new class? And I'm like, they're all the same. And it sounds worse than it is, but it's like there'll be the group at the top and it's anywhere from two to eight that, you know, have an aptitude and could be potentially good. And then there's that bottom group that is, you know, one to eight that really doubtfully have any chance in hell. You know, they're the the Wilfs and the Debs of the world that, you know, from our class that it's like, you know, what exactly are you doing here? And then there's that group in the middle and every session it's a different percentage, but that's what it is. And I've, again, this last class was a good example of that where there was um, Lorenzo. He's an Italian kid from my last class who was, he'd done some training for and he was pretty good. And there was a couple times where I'd put him with, I won't name their name, but say the the most challenged person in the class. And I'm like, just try to get them through. And he would do a match. And afterwards, he's like, man, he's like, you know, I probably learned more <laughs> trying to get that person through than anything else. And I'm like, yeah, that's part of the learning process. You've got to work with shitty people. You've got to work with good people. Because if you can get through take your own bumps, not get hurt, carry the other person. It's like, you'll be able to deal with anything when you get out there. So it's good to have good and bad people to work with. And when you get to, you know, okay, I've got to have a match with this person. If I can get eight minutes out of it and not get hurt and have it okay, it's like, that's a hell of an accomplishment. Well, I mean, and I can see that too, because, you know, once again, dude, who are we, you know, we as, as, as you know, as, as a brotherhood or whatever to, tell somebody that they can't follow their dreams you know i mean i just it's funny because i saw marco stunt for the first time at um jacksonville whatever the show was called and i was like why the f are we hiring this guy like what the hell is this and then you see he's part of the act of of uh jungle boy and luchasaurus and you know he gets over he does his stuff and then i talked to the guy i'm like you know what shame on me for thinking that because when i was a kid wanting to be a wrestler everyone thought i was too small too so you know if a guy can go in there and find a niche for himself and you never know it's a very wacky business that way the six foot eight muscle head might not get the job but the you know the five foot two spunky near do well could so i can see what you're saying and what danny davis said it's probably some pretty good advice well yeah because you know even you know mick foley i was told so right. many times you have no chance you know i'm quite sure well Hell, you know, Japan told Jushin Liger no. Right. I say too. Get yeah. out of class, right? So So and and that's too. It's it's one of the questions that I have the hardest time with is like you'll get the person with what are my chances? And I'm like, I can't answer mm -hmm. that. Because and and I say to them, it's like, you know, if I had to ask, like if someone come in, it's like, what's the chances of someone from this class making WWE? I'm like, if I had to bet yes or no, I'd say no to everybody. Mm -hmm. Because it's a long shot. But obviously there's been, you know, a dozen and even upwards of 15 or 20 students that have had success. 
And I would assume that many of my students will, but it's like, if you actually had to say yes or no, like you can go back to 1990 at the Hart Brothers camp. Mm. Like if you just came, especially in 1990, because we were so small by those yes. standards. If you had to, hey, I'm going to bet $1,000, will someone in this class make it that it would be or not? It's like, I'd have put the $1,000 on no. And it's like, you may have invented WrestleMania. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's Black Magic's got a great story, Norman Smiley, when we worked this match in, in, in Monterey, Mexico. It was the first time I ever had a championship match and Vampiro didn't show up, so they just subbed me in there. I remember Magic, you know, he is with his voice. Like, if you would have told me that this guy right here was going to be a future world champion main event WrestleMania, I was like, this motherfucker right here? No way. There's no way. But you just can never tell how people are going to uh, grow and, and, and evolve, uh, especially when they get out there on their own. You don't know how the business is going to sure. change. Because, again, you know, we were the smallest of the small. It's like maybe as a tag team we can survive in this industry. And, you know, today, if I was in my peak shape, I'd be one of the biggest dudes in the business. That's why I started working like Brody in Japan, because I am one of the biggest guys in Japan now. The way that things have changed. AEW, too. I mean, if you take out Luchasaurus, I mean, who, who's who's taller and bigger than me? Not a lot of guys. And I'm, once again, I'm not freaking, you know, Hogan in 84 either. But like you said, the business has just changed. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. And, and I always use I always use Scotty Tuhati as the example because you'll get guys that come up with ideas for moves or spots. And sometimes I'll think they're wacky and something or dumb. And I'm like, the only true judge is the audience. Mm -hmm. I said, if you believe in your heart that this will work, it doesn't matter whether I think it's dumb. Right. Get out on a show and let the crowd go. Because if, if Scotty Tuhati came to me in 1996 and said, I've got this great idea for the worm, totally. I'd have laughed in his face. Yeah. And it's like, by 1999, it's like, that dude was so over. Yeah, it was the most over move on the show. Um, I was going to ask you, too, being kind of the teacher you mentioned people asking your advice. I mean, I'm sure you become the ipso facto, you know, uh, parental figure to a lot of them or, you know, uncle figure or like if nothing else, you're the bartender, you're Sam Malone at Cheers, kind of listening to everybody's problems and being the shoulder to cry on. How much of that did you uh, did you face over the years? Well, I still do that. Um, mm. It's it's, you know, it's hashtag Papa Storm. <laughs> I I still get that. Like I get email all the time and even not even just from students from here. Like when I did guest training spots in, in FCW and NXT, it's like I ended up coaching and giving advice uh, to students or there that, you know, via email that I still sort of coach and mentor. And, you know, it's I enjoy it because I love the business. And even I've had so many students, too, that you know, maybe just got married or have, you know, a long-term girlfriend. And it's like, they want marital and relationship advice because I made my entire career with the same woman. Yeah. And it was, a. Uh, and again, I trained, uh, Maria Canellos a bit when she first got signed when I was in OVW. And then I did the ring of honor program with Mike Bennett and they were up here doing an indie show, uh, you know, before they were getting married. And I went down to the show and it's like we sat in the locker room for about an hour and it's like they wanted how do you make a marriage work in wrestling advice. <laughs> so that happens a lot. And, you know, I think probably more so than anyone else. It's like, you know, Rachel Ellering, who's actually using my last name now. It's like she pretty much calls me dad almost. And when anything happens you know again she just had her acl replaced it's like when she got hurt it's like okay i <laughs> i need some advice i need some encouragement hold, hold on a second is your daughter's name actually rachel yes i have <laughs> i have two rachel everses in my life what are you george foreman 
<laughs> 18 George Foreman Juniors. <laughs> but yeah, it was a case of when, when, when Rachel Ellering first started doing NXT extra work, she was just doing it as Rachel Ellering, but then they signed her dad and they didn't want the connection because she was being used as a babyface wrestler and her dad was a heel manager. So they told her we need to change your name. And she wanted to keep the initials. So she wanted an E name and she wanted a name that meant something to her. And since we had such a good relationship, she asked if I minded if she used my last name. I'm like, by all means. And uh, so, yeah, there's uh, Rachel Ellering. Sorry, Rachel Evers, the wrestler, and Rachel Evers, uh, my actual daughter. Their first <laughs> names are spelled slightly different. But, but the thing is, too, and I don't know if you, this is one of the reasons why we have a great connection. Like, I became a wrestling fan because of the Road Warriors. And when she got up here, I found out that Paul Ellering has two daughters. The oldest one's name is Rebecca. The youngest one's name is Rachel. My daughters, my oldest is mm. Rebecca. My youngest is Rachel. Mm. And in a crazier coincidence, Paul Ellering was in Japan when his first daughter, Rebecca, was born. Wow. I was in Japan when my first daughter, Rebecca, was born. <laughs> and there's they're the same age difference apart. Uh, his daughters are a little bit older than mine, but... It was just such a weird coincidence. And since, again, you know, I, I became a wrestling fan because of Paul Ellering right. and the Road Warriors, I thought it was just so amazing that I got to train his daughter. And she works so hard and, and is so good. Um, she just has, you know, a passion and, and really, really smart. And she picks up on the psychology and she she's really good. So when, when you see that, you put in the extra effort. And, you know, I've trained a half a dozen second generation people and it's like her work rate is you know, second to none. Did you ever have like uh, inter uh, interclass romances spring up and that sort of stuff? Um, we had one that became, pro and it was actually thankful. It was that one session that I split because there was a, a guy and his girlfriend that came over from Europe. I won't pin it down more than that. So people can't do the math and figure it out. But they were a couple, and I think he was the one that wanted to wrestle, and he talked his girlfriend into also training to get in. And before the session was over, they had broken up, and she started seeing one of the other students. <laughs> and thankfully, the two dudes were in the separate split class, so we didn't have confrontation. But I think by the end of session, I think they did end up flying back home together and staying together, but there was a, uh, a inter... Uh, intercession inter 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 deal and actually I, I just found out I just uh, dude from Ontario when I was doing the last uh, impact taping I think it was when I did the guest ref spot on the pay-per-view in Toronto uh, a lot of my Ontario students were doing extra work for impact and the one dude uh, told me that he's actually engaged in marrying one of the girls from his session oh, okay so you're so, providing a little love connection there too <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Who are your uh, some of your favorite students that didn't make it? Because every 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 time you get a character in there, some just wacky. Like you know, Vic DeWild. Like what, what? What? How many Vic DeWilds was there? Uh, and Vic, for, for those who don't know, was like this little five foot seven dude who was an archery champion and made the uh, made the obvious move into pro wrestling from archery, and he was kind of the the little comedian of the gang. I think the really entertaining guys that I, th I thought were really there was a couple guys that on promos really stood out as entertaining characters, and there was there was one dude he he did his first promo and it was terrible, and he's like, "Can I just try something else one more time?" I'm like, "Sure," and this has obviously been something he's probably been cutting promos his entire fandom as, and he was uh, Jersey Joe, South Trenton representing, 
And he was just such a complete insane lunatic as Jersey Joe. Mm -hmm. He was out of control, out of control in like a Steiner kind of promo mm -hmm. where it doesn't completely really make sense, but it's so believable. This guy's nuts and is going to kill somebody. So he was really entertaining. And then there was this one dude he had had the idea of, and his gimmick was going to be, he was going to be G milf Hunter, the original granny banger. <laughs> and I'm just, when he's, he's cutting his promos, I'm like, is this like, did you just thought that'd be funny for today? He's like, no, I think this could be my gimmick. And I'm just like, how exactly is this going to play to an audience? Like, what is this? <laughs> there was the uh, famous uh, fighting action guy. Yes, from your session. From my session. That's a funny story, too, because you put him over in your book, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, because again, it was when Jericho had his first you know, year or two leave absence, and then he made that one comeback. He came up and trained for like a week with an actual session. Yeah. And I had told them a week ahead of time so they could wrap their head around it so they didn't mark out too bad. But again, told them to keep your mouth shut because it's a surprise. And to their credit, it never leaked. And yeah, I went up there to train with you to kind of get back in shape because it was two and a half years since I'd been in a ring. And I remember I told Vince that and he's like, well, you can always go down to to Orlando or wherever FCW. I'm like, no, I'm going to go to Lance's place. That's I trust him and I know him. So that's why I was there. Yeah. And you came up and just fed in as if you were one of the students in the class running the tackle drills and doing stuff. And so they were obviously huge marking out for it and so forth. And I think after class ended, you and I stayed around and did a match or two yeah, just we did, to yeah. work on your cardio and stuff. And I remember too, just, you know, after the, you know, the match and you're like, Oh, it wasn't too bad. I'm like, yeah, you're you know a little rusty. You're a little snug. You just looked at me. It's like, I've always been that way. I'm like, Oh yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You called the whole match in the ring. Yeah. So yeah, we're talking about fighting action guy though, but yeah. And so the last day that you were there, I thought it would be good because obviously, you know, you're far more charismatic and known for your promos than I. I'm like, OK, I'll have them do their promo day with you and that you can get your opinion and so forth. And as is, you know, common in wrestling school, there's a bunch of really bad promos. But fighting action guy who, again, you couldn't do now because the acronym is, is offensive. I didn't even get the connection <laughs> first. Yeah, exactly. But he cut the promo and he was going to crush you with his man chest. And it was it was very entertaining. Yeah. And you put him over that last day because, again, it was mid-session. As you know, if I had to, you said, you know, if I had to run a show, you're the only guy that I could actually put on the show now because you're a character. Mm -hmm. You've got entertainment value. Obviously, you wouldn't have him in a match yet, but you could use him and you put him over. And then you, you know, you trained with me that night and then you went back home. And I remember it was like a couple weeks later, you texted me with like, hey, how's the fighting action guy doing? And I'm like, yeah, he quit the day you left. Hmm. And you were just like, What? And I realized that after the fact, he was, you know, showing signs of not enjoying himself before. And I think he was ready to quit. But then I said, you were coming up. And he was a gigantic Jericho fan. So I think he toughed out the last two weeks just so that he could meet you. But I was surprised that you putting him over didn't motivate him enough to stay because he, he left the very next day. Wow. He was, he was just, I remember I went to uh, acting class when I was like 10 years old and I didn't like it, but they had a hell of a Christmas party. So I stayed until the Christmas party and then quit the next week. So I was, <laughs> I was the Christmas party for him. Who else uh, came down to kind of give uh, their expert opinions over the years? Um, I've had a few. I'm trying to think now. Brett came back. Bre Brett for the longest time. Cause I was talking to Brett when I was first opening up. Um, I was actually trying to get his ring off him when I was first trying to find a ring. 
And, you know, he's oh, I'll have to stop by sometime. I'm like, absolutely. Because, you know, like, you know, who wouldn't want Bret Hart stopping right. by? And then he finally did the one day. And he, you know, he was great. You know, he talked to everybody. He actually got in the ring. Obviously, he wasn't bumping because he, he couldn't. But he was, you know, throwing a few punches and, and, and walking through stuff and, and talked to guys, which was really cool. Jeez, that's great. Um, Ray Mysterio, when Dominic came up to train, Ray brought him up. And, and he came to the first day or two. And it was funny because, like, again, much like yourself, it's like Ray's getting into that, you know, all time great category. Mm -hmm. And but when he came in, he's not wearing his mask. Right. And, just, <laughs> and everybody was really nice. It's like, it's cool reading Ray. And it's like, you know, he sat and watched the class and, and gave some people some advice and stuff. And then before he was leaving, he's like, well, you know, if anybody wants to get a, a photo or anything, you know, you know, I don't mind. So I was like, yes, please. Yes, please. And he reached into his bag and pulled the mask out. And you could just see everyone's face change. When he put the mask on, it became real. Right. And it's like, oh, my God, this is Ray Mysterio. And so everybody got their pictures with Ray, which was really cool. Edge stopped by uh, once or twice because he, he loves the mountains. So whenever he had time off due to injury or something, he'd always come out, stay with me for a day or two, and then go up to Banff. Mm -hmm. so, so Edge stopped in uh, once or twice. Uh, Don Callis came in the one time I made him do a promo day, uh, <laughs> for me and he lectured everybody, which was entertaining. Um, who else? Uh, Tyler Breeze and Luke Harper stopped by once they had a house show in town and they That's managed cool. to get in in time to, to stop by. Yeah. And there was, there was one dude that had to leave early and he missed out. So he was, he was not happy. <laughs> but I mean, you, you think about, you mentioned Brett I mean, cause I know for a while he was, uh, trying to get his son Dallas to go to your camp. I know um, you mentioned Dominic. We talked Brian Pillman Jr. was there. I know David Benoit had a little flirtation of going. It's like all the second generation guys would be sent to come train with you because you had that legitimate, you know, that legitimate kind of uh, thumbs up from from your peers. Yeah, actually, both of Brett's sons at one point in time uh, trained with me for a bit. I think Dallas, unfortunately, again, I'm speculating. Um, uh, he was a really good dude. But I think it happened too fast for him. Mm -hmm. I think he reached out to Brett and just said, you know, I'm, you know, I wouldn't mind trying to get into this. What do you think? Can you help me out? And I think Brett, like that day, called Jim Ross and said, can you get my boy into developmental? And Jim Ross told him, it's like, why don't you just send him to Lance? He's right up there. And when he's done with Lance, if Lance thinks he's got potential, we'll sign him. Mm -hmm. So I think the next day, Brett called me. It's like, you know, you, you know, Dallas is interested in getting in. I'm like, I got a class that starts in two weeks. If he wants in it, I'll train him for sure. And I think Brett then went back to Dallas. And I think Dallas was just at a point where I'm giving this some thought. I, I think I'd like to, you know, prepare and maybe get into this. And he's two weeks away from, okay, sure. you're going to start. Yeah. And he was trying to get his, you know, his regular life in order. And he missed a couple of days. And I think it just happened too quick for him that he didn't have his head around it. So he didn't end up finishing he you know mm -hmm. was just having a hard time making it work but you know he he had you know the the time he made he showed some ability so I, I think it was a timing issue with him blade trained with me for a while as well um yeah and uh ben was sunded for a few weeks maybe a month and then yeah ray's son ellering's daughter and pillman jr so yeah there was quite a few and it was it was always nice when you heard you know because steve austin and jim ross used to put the school over all yeah. the time and one of the funniest stories, and it's it's just it's it's comical to me because, but I got a, a DM from Jim Ross with I need your cell phone number. I'm like, sure. So I sent him my cell phone number, 
And then my cell phone rings like an hour or two later, and it's actually Shawn Michaels. Hmm. And it's funny because I DM'd with Shawn before. He could have just DM'd and said, <laughs> you know, can I have your phone number? Right. And I guess a friend of his had a child that wanted to get into wrestling, and he just he came to, he called to ask if I minded if he recommended my school. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's I, I'm okay with like one of the greatest of all time recommending <laughs> me. That that's perfectly fine, Sean. Thank. But also to to his credit, he wanted to know, you know, what my relationship still was with WB. It's like, you know, is the you know he's you know for the training is like, is there going to be a connection? And I'm like, well, I you know I, I don't talk to Hunter, but I talk to the people in charge of talent relations and developmental on a regular basis. So like, if the kid has potential i can get him in touch with the right people and so forth oh okay we really appreciate it you sure you don't mind if i recommend your school (laughs) i'm like uh can i just quote you on this so i can like take out an ad in the newspaper that sean michaels is recommending me (laughs) it's like when brett you know would call and ask if i minded if he stopped by it's like yeah i I don't want one of the greatest ever stopping (laughs) by my school why would why would i ever say no you know what's funny um because I remember once again, we talked about this uh, when we did the Smoky Mountain podcast a few months ago, was um, you, you you were always like a, a very athletic and you used to do the Air Pillman, which is, of course, the springboard clothesline, which in 1990 was not done by every Tom, Dick and Harry, except for me, because I still can't do it. But um, is, is was it kind of cool, you know, 25 years later, whatever it was to be training Brian Pillman's son? Well, it really was because, and this is where and it's, it's advice I give all my students. It's like, don't try to emulate someone that you're just a fan of because you're a fan of them. Because mm-hmm. I'll get a lot of, you know, the big guys that are Ray Mysterio fans and they want to do Ray stuff. And I'm like, you don't have the physical attributes of Ray. Right. And while I, again, got into wrestling because I was a big fan of the Road Warriors, when I actually made the conscious thought process of, hey, I want to get into wrestling, Brian Pillman was more the model I looked at. Now right. I was a, I was a fan of flying Brian Pillman at this stage, not loose cannon, Brian Pillman, mm-hmm. but he was small by wrestling standards. He had a good physique. He wasn't at that time, a particularly good promo. And athletically we were very similar, you know, the really good leaping ability. So it's like, I looked at Brian Pillman senior as a bit of a prototype. This is sort of the style that I'm going to emulate. So when, you know, his son comes up and actually looks a little bit like him too, it was really neat to then be training the son of a guy that, again, I, again, I was using the Air Pillman because I was stealing it from him, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, obviously, uh, you know, drop kicks. It's like Pillman was a big drop kick guy. So was I. And so Pillman was one of my motivations to get into the business because I saw someone with similar size athletic ability and at the time charisma and promo right. level fly and brian pillman was pretty you know basic white meat baby face he had developed the crazy you know loose cannon guy later mm-hmm. so it's like there was a big connection there too so it was cool when when brian pillman came up and working with him when you uh, you know as, as we start to wind down here um do you think there's going to be kind of um avoid now in wrestling schools because once again before the go-to is just go to see lance and and you'll you know you can learn better than everywhere else and now it's kind of like because people would come train with you then go to nxt for example like dominic he came to train with you first rather than go to nxt and a lot of the guys did that i mean what do you think there's other schools that are gonna be able to pick up that slack because once again as much as we hate to say this kind of last of a, of a, of a different generation that's in there training with these guys 
every single day training a different style than what's kind of in vogue right now? I don't think there's a void in that there'll be there'll be lots of places where people get trained, but again, be it ego or confidence, it's like I don't think there'll be a place as good. Like I think I have a weird detailed brain that's really well suited for this job in breaking down matches and remembering all the details. Because that's one thing, and I think you've talked about it before. I think it was the first podcast we did. While you are extremely great at the job, I don't think training is in your makeup. Exactly. And, Not my thing. And I remember, you know, Shawn Michaels one time, he was trying to teach Randy Orton, you know, the old school head scissor where you jump up and you're sort of, you know, at an angle to the guy, not the standard Rana style. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah. He was trying to teach Randy Orton it. And it's like, Sean could do it absolutely perfectly. And then, you know, Randy was struggling with it. And it's like, I went down and I'm like, cause Sean, when you do it, your leg is here and he does this. He's like, Oh, is that what I do? <laughs> and even mentioned, he's like, yeah, I'm not really good at teaching. He says, cause everything just comes natural and I can do it. I don't really know what I do. And if you don't know that this foot has to be here, this hand has to be here, here's the, you know, the cheat to make sure you can land it every time. It's hard. And, you know, I think you're a bit that way in that you're, you know, you're a gut and an instinct guy on a lot of stuff. And, and also, too, it's like where I think your true skill is. I don't think there's anybody in the business that's necessary. Well, again, maybe today there is. I don't know. I don't watch everybody today at that last 10 minutes of a match of knowing how to maximize peaking a match, you're absolutely phenomenal. But when it comes to, again, you don't actually know the technique behind 1,000 arm bars. <laughs> right. Contrary to your list. <laughs> and I'm really good at the details and also, too, breaking down the psychology element of it because I've been doing it so long. So I think there will be a void, but uh, those who have trained with me and those who I've been still continually giving feedback and coaching via email will continue to get that so so you still have kind of a relationship with your former students they can email you and ask you questions and stuff yeah um, actually I did a quick scroll through before we started of the 42 sessions uh, that I've I've taught at SWA so far there was only four class photos that didn't have at least one student in it that I still keep in touch with wow it may only be one per class or two per class, but there was only four of 42 that there isn't somebody in that class that on at least a semi-regular basis, I get an email or a text or a DM. So uh, there's a there's an ex I, I, I mentioned it in the statement I released, you know, there's a global SWA family. And that's something that I, I think is really cool. And I always enjoy it. You know, there'll be someone, you know, there's a, a really talented uh, kid, uh, Darren Kearney, a kid from the U.K., I called him Will Ospreay when he was here because he looked a smidgen like him. Then he got to work the guy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'll get a text from him and it'll be a photo of him and like three other students from completely different classes that ended up on the same show right. somewhere. And there's just that SWA family connection of, oh, hey, you trained with Lance. So did I. And it's like there's an instant friendship and a, at least on some level, a bit of a similar mindset towards the business. And whenever I get those photos of, hey, look who I ran into, I think that's really cool. Because I think those friendships and relationships will go on long after I'm well the hell out of the business. Was there any of those students that you can remember that, that maybe quit that you didn't think they should have or someone that didn't make it that should have? Anybody that kind of was uh, kind of slipped through the cracks in your opinion? Um, I think Chris Knight was the biggest miss. Mm -hmm. And I think he... I think he fell through the cracks because of a administration administration change in WWE. 
he had done a tryout or two and he was booked as an extra and they had him wrestle like eight matches in the afternoon he's working the usos in tag singles heel did promos and you know william regal who was the guy that assessed talent he's like this guy's really good i'm gonna recommend him as a signee because they didn't have like 10 australians in developmental time it's like i don't think we're gonna find a bigger better australian to have and he did the thing where it's like he he had done extra work a few times he's like i'm not leaving until i get two minutes with johnny ace one-on-one and he finally pinned him down in his office and can i have a couple minutes with you and it's like i told him it's like that's risky Mm -hmm. it'll either really impress him or it'll piss him off Mm -hmm. depending on if he's busy so he did that and then i ran into john he's like yeah one of your students uh came down and knocked on my door in my office i'm so i'm waiting for the you know good for him or what's wrong with this kid and he's like took some guts i respect that Mm -hmm. awesome and i fully believed he was going to be signed and then whoever was in charge of development i think it was ty bailey back then he was released and Canyon Seaman took over and then Niter never heard. And it's like, I think it was a case of anyone on the radar of the previous regime got set aside because new guys always want to look at their own people. And I honestly believe he fell through the cracks there. He's super, super talented. He's like 240, my height, maybe a smidgen taller and a really good worker. I think he slipped through the cracks. And then this one kid, it was early on. He was the first student. He was from New York. The first guy that I thought was big enough had the potential. Like, this guy could get signed. Like, this is someone that by the end of session, I might call, uh, it would have been Ty Bailey at the time, and go, hey, you should look at this kid. He was tall. He was in great shape. He was picking it up. We're only like the first week in. He's bumping, moving great. And I'm like, wow. And then 10 days in, one week in, he comes up to me. He's like, I'm quitting. I was like, what? And he's like, he told me, he's like, yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. I'm like, you not really thought this through before. He's like, well, I, I just, I'm, I'm quitting. And it's like, he didn't even stay that day. He's like, I'm going home tomorrow. And he was staying because I've got a house that I rent rooms to students in. He right. was staying with other students. And when he left, the guy's like, is he quitting? And I'm like, yeah. He says, did he say why? I said, well, he says he's afraid to get hurt. They're like, he's been on the phone with his girlfriend back home 24-7 since he got here. Mm-hmm. He's going home because he misses his girlfriend. And I'm like, wow. And it's like, to this day, because he was like my, you know, maybe my second year. I hope he's married and has kids and he's happy. Yeah. Right. Right. Like if he couldn't be away from his girl and it was true love and they're still married and he's happy, it's like, you know, more power to him. Wrestling wasn't for him. Yeah. But if he packed in his dream and left and broke up with her six months (laughs) later, I'm like, dude, yeah, exactly. You know, it goes back to uh, the story when we were still a tag team and I was dating Tony's sister, Rosa, (laughs) And we were a tag team in Jericho. We were driving up Highway 22X uh, in Fish Creek Park, I'm pretty sure. And you said, I got a question to ask you. I'm like, what? He's like, do you think you're still going to be wrestling in 10 years? I'm like, absolutely. He says, do you think you'll be with this girl in 10 years? And I'm like, no. He's like, remember that. And it's just the, what are your priorities? Mm-hmm. And I actually used it. My, Tina, my wife, thinks that story was about her, but it was actually the girl I dated before my wife. Mm-hmm. And when it was time for me to get off the road, I was debating it. And I asked her, it's like, how close are you to the end of your rope with me being on the road? And she says, I don't want to say. Because she doesn't want, you know, me to re- retire and then five years, you right. know, resent her. And I threw that same line back at her. And I'm like, if you ask me now in 2005, am I still going to be wrestling in 10 years? My answer is no. I'm still going to be married to you in 10 years your opinion is more important here. And if the dude's married and happy, you know, God bless him. 
if he's been through 12 girlfriends since, it's like he really missed his chance because he had some potential. Yeah, once again, man, like I said, it's it's not for everybody. And I remember, you know, in our class, we started with 15 or 16, and I always use the analogy. It was like teenagers in a Friday the 13th movie. People would just disappear every single day. Someone would go out to their car to get their water bottle, and you'd never freaking see them again. So it's not easy to do. So any kind of excuse to get you out of there probably uh, makes them all feel better. So you mentioned that you're going into your last session, and you could have price gouged because so many people want to be there. Are you going to stick with 15? Are you going to try and do a double? What's kind of your mindset? I'm not going to a double. I don't want to put my body through that, uh, doing a double. So I I will go, you know, one or two people bigger, but I won't go like at the most. It's like, we'll have 16 or 17 people. I can do a slightly longer class. So we all get ring time, but Mm. I'm not doing a double. I'm not overloading myself. I don't want to do that. But yeah, I was talking to another buddy of mine. He's like, oh, man, he says you should put him on the secondary market like StubHub. <laughs> do you train? Uh, I forgot to ask this earlier. Do you train five days a week? Yes. And it's like three hours a day? If it's a 12 group, it's three hours. But when we ended up having like the 16s and 17s, then we bump it to four hours. That way we we get enough ring time so that we get through everything we need to get through. Gotcha. And and if we're behind time, it's like, hey, we'll do four and a half today. It's like we won't end right when we need to. It's like it's like I, I've got to pace myself so everybody gets the time they need. But yeah, if if it ends up being a hey, we only have twelve. It's like three hours is lots every day. Do you uh, last couple of questions for you? Um, a who who do you think? And this might even be hard to to answer. Who who's the best student that ever came out of your class? And, oh. and or you know some a couple of the best in your opinion once again just in your opinion that's so hard because someone's going to be offended oh. <laughs> by it um but I, I think for for someone who really picked it up quickly i, I would say tyler breeze as yeah it's not fair to count the people who trained before they got to me but tyler hadn't trained before he got to me and he was someone that just the way he moved like right away it was like okay he's small it's going to be a long shot for him, but he really moved well and picked stuff up really, really quickly. And I think from getting the psychology and really being smart early, I think Rachel Ellering would be in a top tier. She was really, she worked, um, she went and worked with stardom fairly early on. And I know she did a, a, a championship match with EO Shirai in stardom. And EO was just dumbfounded that she'd only been in the business so long because she was so smart and knowledgeable as far as not just wanting to get her own stuff in, but match structure and doing things. I would say they are, are two of the better, but there's a lot, obviously. But again, like a guy like Oni's not fair to count because he was pretty good when he got to me. I think I certainly helped him, but it's like I don't think it's fair that I include him in that mm-hmm. where I'd, I'd go with people that were just on her. Dominic picked now. D- Dominic did do some training before he got to me too, but Dominic picked it up pretty quick. I was impressed with Dominic. Once again, too, like a foot taller than his dad. So it'll be interesting to see how far he can go. Well, that's it. I said it to, I said to him, it's like, I think that's his saving grace. Because mm-hmm. if he was small, they'd want him to be the yes. next race stereo. And it's like, geez, like, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, Charlotte, Tessa, and I think Rachel as well really benefit is when you're the daughter, they don't expect you to be exactly the same as the dad. Right. And there's a bit and Rachel, obviously, her dad more famous as a manager. There isn't that following the exact same footsteps. But where you're, you know, the son of Ray Mysterio, it's like they expect you to be the greatest high flyer of all time. But it's like Dom's taller than me. 
I had to show. I had to show. It was a fun day. He was, you know, wanting to do a six one nine just in some of his class matches and stuff. And he was doing it wrong. I'm like, there's a trick to that. He's like, really? And it's like I showed him. I'm, and I think I even tweeted out afterwards. It's like, yeah, when you know Ray's kayfabe and his kid, I had to show him the trick to the six one nine, and and Ray kind of popped. <laughs> Also, too, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention old Carlo Cannon. I'm sure he'll be listening. He's another one that uh, is doing really well for himself in Australia and probably could have gone a little bit farther in the States, I think. Yeah, he, he's really talented. And he was the first, you know, adoptive son, if you will. There's probably a few that are now, you know, family level. Mm-hmm. But he was in my very first class. He was so young. And he actually lived right near me i ended up uh, he ended up pitching a ride with me to the class for those sessions and then he came back because he became really good friends he became friends with my kids and, and my wife and so when i had my knees scoped you know i don't know how many years into class i had both knees scoped when he found out it's like well he's I'll, I'll, I'll come over and i'll stay and i'll help you out just so you have someone to be there physically and it's like he stayed and basically did the chris knight role where he would help any you know, physical stuff I needed when my knees were sore for a little while. And, you know, he's come back a few times and yeah, he's, I think he, cause he was really short. I think if he'd have been taller, you know, cause he did a extra work as, as a WWE guy a couple of times. And it's like, I think if he'd have been bigger, he would have got that shot in the U S cause mm-hmm. he's really talented, super charismatic. He's, you know, a big deal in Australia. He's actually, you know, Ken Shamrock's tag team partner. Right. Uh, they hold the tag the champions. In yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he runs a school in Australia. Um, I forget the name of it now, something pursuit or something. I forget the name. He's going to kill me, but, but yeah, super cool dude. He's actually, I, when I made the announcement, he's like, I'm looking into flights already. I got to come back for the last session. <laughs> So it'll be cool if he's there for the last day of the last session because he was there for the first day the first of the first too. session. Uh, last, and the last question for you. When you finally shut the doors there on the on the big warehouse and you take the ring down and take all the banners down, uh, what, what, are you, what are you going to be – what's your final kind of thought and impression of, of what SWA meant to you and, and, and kind of meant to the to the wrestling world? It's going to be a sad day when it happens, and it, it – it, it certainly exceeded all expectations. Like I really had no idea mm-hmm. what it would do. And it was such a, and again, to put myself, it was very flattering, but it's like I had people from, I think 30 countries wow. travel to SWA to train people from all over the world. And, and that was really cool. And I've always been, I've always wanted to leave the business better for being a part of it. And I think I did that throughout my career, but I think I probably will end up making a bigger mark on the industry as the whole, mm. as a coach, you know, even, you know, from my OVW days of working with, you know, John Morrison and, you know, Melina and Mickey James and Bobby Lashley and Dolph Ziggler and, you know, the list of people that I, I helped through developmental that I think there's going to be, I'm going to be a really happy old guy sitting on my couch watching future Hall of Fame inductions and seeing students of mine, because there's been a few students of mine go in now, uh, not students from SWA, but, you know, I worked with Beth Phoenix in mm-hmm. OVW and she went in and I, I worked a lot with Trish just, you know, w- with fit. And, you know, when Trish had her, you know, 80 foot scroll of people that she wanted to thank, <laughs> you know, I've got a screen cap and you see my name on the list. <laughs> So, you know, there will be more, you know, when Mickey James goes in, when Bobby Lashley goes in, when, when people continue to go in, 
it will expand. And then hopefully at some point in time, SWA grads will have made enough of a mark that they go in too. And it'll be, it'll be really rewarding to be sitting on my couch with my dogs or whatever and, and realize that uh, I had a positive influence on the industry. Mm-hmm. Well, man, like I said, there's, there's no better trainer. I saw it when we were 21 years old or whatever it was. And here you are after 15 years. And, and once again, too, not just teaching people how to work and, and the technical side, but also as human beings too. That's a lot of what I'm reading that everyone knows how much of a straight shooter you are and how much of a good guy you are. So uh, congratulations on a job well done and uh, whatever the offer was that you got, I'm sure it's going to be continuing to, to make the wrestling business a better place than it was before you got in it. So uh, congratulations, man. I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks a lot. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. Yep. All right. Thanks again to Lance Storm. WWE, lucky to have him. And SWA uh, students and alumni will always remember the training that he's done. Like I said, he was a great trainer right out of the gate. So congrats to Lance for SWA and congrats to Lance for his new job with WWE. So, all right. Coming up on Wednesday, it's Return to Rock and Roll with the greatest songwriter of all time, not named Leonard McCartney. I'm talking about Desmond Child. He's written so many hit songs from I Was Made for Loving You by Kiss, Heaven's on Fire by Kiss, uh, Living on a Prayer. Prayer, you Give Love a Bad Name, Born to Be My Baby, Bad Medicine by Bon Jovi, uh, Aerosmith, The Dude Looks Like a Lady, uh, What It Takes, uh, Crazy, uh, so many of those damn songs they wrote, Ricky Martin, Living the Vida Loca, even Barbara Streisand, Joan Jett, the list goes on and on and on, Alice Cooper, Poison, he's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame, he's got a Grammy, been nominated for multiple Grammys, and he's got some great rock and roll stories right here on Talk is Jericho. Do not miss the great Desmond Child, one of the greatest songwriters of all time, working hand-in-hand with some of the greatest musicians of all time. You're not going to want to miss this one. We'll see you on Wednesday. In the meantime, and in between times, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big, yeah, boy, living on a prayer.